0: Just keep podcasting. Just keep podcasting. Hmm. I think we're forgetting something important. I don't know what it is. Mm. Yeah, right. We haven't talked about Finding Dory this year. By this year, I mean 2016. We're living in the past. It's Dory. Live with it. Finding Dory on Writers Get Animated.
1: Stay tuned. Good day, everybody, and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation. And this week, uh, something I, something else. I can't, can't remember. Uh, 432 Wallaby Way. That's right. Yes. Wait, did I say animation? I think I said anima- animation and storytelling. And I'm sure we'll come back to it. I'm Chris Leva,
0: And I'm Mackenzie Worrell.
1: And today we're talking about finding Dory. Mm. I remembered. I re- it was finding Dory. That's what we um, were trying to <laughs> talk about. It's finding Dory. Um, before we get into the magic and mystery, what, I feel like I'm going into the Gummy Bears theme song.
0: Um, I mean, I was going to go with the Beatles. So it like was a Magic Mystery tour of the ocean. <laughs> Let's stop.
1: (laughs) I'm just cutting it off. Um, We do have some small little bit of priority unfinished business. Uh, Last episode, we talked about our Oscar picks or our Oscar predictions, not necessarily our picks, but our predictions for who would be nominated. Um, And we were, we went pretty, we did pretty well, I think.
0: You can load your praise onto us now, world! We told you. We were almost right. We admit it. Moana, Zootopia, Kubo and the Two Strings, and My Life as a Zucchini slash Courgette were all nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Where we were both wrong... Yes. ...is that Sing did not receive a nomination and The Red Turtle did. The Red Turtle. Which is a film... That neither of us had seen, but both wanted to see. So, we are still excited and proud that that got nominated as well. Right. Right.
1: Now, Kubo also got nominated.
0: It did. This is such an interesting year for animation. We're not even talking about the shorts yet. But Kubo (laughs) also received an Academy Award nomination for visual effects. Now, I know what you're thinking. Visual effects, an animated movie? What? Isn't that just like... Counterintuitive or implied, but as we discussed in the Kuba episode, so many things were um, both a mix of computer-generated as well as practical props, and in fact, the credits show the impressive giant stop-motion skeleton that they use, so I think this is a very well-deserved nomination, Um, and while it's unexpected and people are talking about that and how it's just like this cool nod, I think they might be in the running to win. Mm. And I don't think they'll get best animated feature, but they certainly deserve best visual effects. Yeah. yeah. Um, and on top of that, um, not in the Academy Awards, but Deborah Cook, the costume designer for Kubo, was also nominated by the Costume Designers Guild. So making costumes for a stop animated film, um, quite impressive. And the documentary feature has an animation as w- animation nomination. That's hard to say as well. Life. Animated, <laughs> which is not pure animation, but it's about animation and contains animation and is a lot of Disney. Uh, so lots of animation things at the Academy Awards.
1: And not just in that single category. It's all over, which is nice.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a good I mean, yeah.
1: I know Moana also got nominated for Song, so that's oh, also yeah.
0: Something to there, too. Oh, uh, you mentioned Trolls on our podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> we have Justin non- Timberlake got nominated for Best Original Song for an Animated Movie. F- fixed it. <laughs> 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 Hashtag, it sings itself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, great. Oscars. We'll be back with more stuff on the Oscars as we do... Each year, this being the second of years when we've done something to, with the Oscars, so
0: <laughs> the second of years,
1: the second of years. Um, moving on, so Finding Dory. When mm-hmm. when we when Finding Dory came out to theaters, we were talking about direct to video Disney sequels, and we promised we'd come back to Dory, and we just. It, there was never oh there was never a right time to come back to Dory, and then time passed, and we forgot. So we since we love irony so much as writers, we thought that it would be good to finally remember Dory at some point. This is that point. This, so can we uh, talk a little bit about? I guess the conception of Dory or how Dory came about and from the creators. Yes, I love this story. Go on. It's such a good story. I will let you tell it then.
0: (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, um, Andrew Stanton, uh, the director and writer of Dory or one of the writers, I should say, um, as well as the director and one of the writers for Finding Nemo, um, they were redoing Finding Nemo for its 3D theatrical release, and they're kind of watching it at Pixar, um, and they all finished it was a. They all thought it was a finished movie, and they had nothing left to revisit. And they watch this movie, and as they're leaving, uh, Andrew Stanton is leaving the theater, and turns to one of his colleagues, Lindsay Collins, who is a producer for Finding Dory, and says. Um that he felt like he left Dory's plot unfinished. Like there was more to tell there and that she didn't have a good resolution at the end of Finding Nemo. Um, and of course, in retrospect, Lindsay's commented that that was the first time they ever watched that movie as an audience because they'd been working so hard on it up to release. Mm-hmm. Um, and as has happened, when you make an animated movie and spend years of your life on it, you probably, once you're done with working on it, you might not want to watch it right away because you've seen every iteration, every possible future it's like being the doctor, except for something that you're working on and getting paid for.
1: <laughs> and there's no sense from rewatching it again. There's a, yeah. but, I mean, there's a certain point where you're having to get on to the next thing. So you've just done all the publicity, done everything, and you're just um, I, when I'm sitting in the audience of something that I've created, you're watching the audience and not watching the film. So you're still experiencing it as, or in my case a play, but you're still sitting at a, at a distance from the work itself. You're not really watching the work. You're seeing, is are things landing? Are they understanding things? Are they going along with it? Are, there, are they coughing because they're bored? Are they wrestling? What's going on? You're just very in tune with the people around you as opposed to what's really going on on screen. So there's not that separation to watch the thing itself in the same way.
0: I definitely agree. Um, Definitely in the moment you're more concerned about how people react to it and less about what's in the thing. It's really Mm -hmm. hard to, air quotes, see your own work when you're writing theatrically or filmically. Is that a word? Filmically? Yes. Cinematically, there we go. And al- um,
1: go ahead. And also, if when you're doing these things, you're so concerned with usually a single character or a single relationship that maybe some smaller things might be left untold. So you have Finding Nemo, which is all about Marlin and his relationship to to Nemo, but also his relationship to Dory. But you're really charting the journey of Marlon. And yes. so as long as his story works, everything else feels like it should be serving that story. And I wonder if in the creation of that, I mean, you get Ellen DeGeneres and doing such a remarkable performance as Dory, Dory starts to rise to her own level, but it's a in a sense she's a sidekick, Mm -hmm. so you don't necessarily have to finish off her story in the great scheme. She serves the to help Marlin, but I think because of the performance, she just rises up to make herself almost equal partner in that story.
0: Yeah, she's definitely one of the more memorable parts. I mean, I love Finding Nemo. I don't mean that as a slight, but she's one of the more memorable parts of that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, years later, you look back, and everything you want to quote is, Dory, escape! <laughs> Things like that. Right. right. Yeah. So, she- Chris, I, I do have a, a related question for you. Okay.
1: okay. And for you too? Par- you, too?
0: And for me, too. It's an introspective um, <laughs> backdoor, backdoor question. Um, it's part of our new segment, Writers get personal. <laughs> Chris, do tell. As a writer, what do you do when you feel like you've left a story unfinished? Uh, that's
1: a good question, Mackenzie. So when you, in what way do you mean? Like it's done, you've watched it, and suddenly you go, oh my gosh, I have to fix it? Or you have Not just fix it.
0: But you realize there's, you've told a complete story, but you've realized that there's more to tell. How have you felt? Have you felt this way with something you've written? I do believe that
1: uh, I have felt that every every now and again. Fascinating. And <laughs> you have to stop this. <laughs> but <laughs> I, think, I think part of it comes to, um, in films, as opposed to plays... You have a better chance for sequels. You have that as a choice. You have the sequel, you have the spin-off in, in film. You can do that and take it and continue it from a different view. Um, in plays, sequels are rarer, not that they don't happen. you know. yeah. Shakespeare wrote sequels and went on and finished stories, and he wrote spin-offs and other things, but yeah. It's, it's, as a playwright, you don't often get that because I don't know why it's not as common. I guess people aren't tracking it as much. We see plays as these single happenings, these single moments that you get to experience. And so I've never thought about doing a sequel in the same way. Um, that's fair. There are about four of my plays that take place in the same fictional city in Iowa. But I think that's as close as I've ever gotten to making a sequel. It's a sequel for the city. <laughs> like It's like a spin-off of what's going on in this one town. But um, I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever wanted to make a sequel to continue something.
0: Yeah. I feel the same way with... I haven't felt compelled to make a sequel about characters. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I might be exploring like a theme or like a certain thing that I want to talk talk about in a play and I may finish something and realize there's more that I want to say about this or angles that I haven't looked at, but they don't fit in right. the arc of what I've written and so I may want to explore something else. Yes. I think in, in modern plays we do see Plays that are multiple parts, but they're conceived of as multiple parts, often are released at the same time. I'm thinking of um, Tom Stoppard and whatever that trilogy is called. Coast of Utopia? Yes, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan Laurie Park's father comes home from the wars. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. <laughs> <laughs> Getting the whole spectrum of theatrical sequels here, but those all come out like at the same time. Like, yeah, Shakespeare wrote sequels years later, but we don't really see much. Oh, actually, I can't think of one. Um, Edward Albee did write a prequel to his first play like 40 years later. Um, So there's one. I can name one in modern theater.
1: Uh, There's also a sequel to Ken Ludwig's play, um, Lend Me a Tenor, that's coming out. Yeah. Did Ken Ludwig write the sequel? I believe, so. I believe so. Wow. okay. So, there's the one that was just on my mind. Thank you for digging that back out. Um, in terms <laughs> of figuring I'm like, wait, I know the of the sequel somewhere else, but it So, it, it's it's rare because I think in movies they get stamped with characters and you have certain characters and certain performances that stay there and they're permanent because they're f- affixed in film. In a play, your experience with the character may be different than my experience with the character because I saw it in Columbus, Ohio, and you saw it in San Francisco. You know, there's it's a different actor, a different performance, and though it's the same, quote, character, it's a different experience altogether.
0: And you can't revisit it whenever you want to. You can't have, like, essentially generation after generation in terms of an animated movie, getting introduced to this film like year after year and having like demand for a sequel like slowly build. Like you're building an audience for a future thing mm-hmm. um, by re-releasing a 3D version, having parents show their beloved Finding Nemo DVD slash VHS. Is it still VHS then? <laughs> no, not at that time. Okay. Timey-wimey. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of always building. Um, and I think that the time was right for Finding Dory.
1: Well, I know that Ellen had been, on her show, <laughs> had been constantly saying, and when are we doing a sequel? And when are we doing a sequel? And when are we do?" She just would... Th- I think there's a supercut somewhere online of her just like, and we're going to be making a sequel to Finding Nemo. She just wanted it so badly. And then... <laughs> I th- it ends with her saying it's coming finding dory and um i i will say this um when it got announced that it was called finding dory i feel like i rolled my eyes a little bit i will be on- <laughs> i will be honest with pixar and the makers and say andrew i did roll my eyes a little bit because it seemed like it wasn't necessary in some way. and maybe they saw something that we didn't see being unfinished. like I, it felt complete in its own way.:
0: Well, I have a related question for you. Is this a sequel or a spin-off?
1: It's a spinoff.
0: I agree. It's a spinoff. Um, sequels are Cars 2, Cars 3, Toy Story 2, three, and upcoming, of course, Andrew Stanton um, writing Toy Story 4. Um, but this is not Finding Nemo 2, this is Finding Dory.
1: So it is a spin-off. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could tell it's a spin-off, and part of the reason is because it does retell part of Finding Nemo. Yeah. Which, and we'll talk about the story and the structure, but I just I'll say this real quick. So my four-year-old son, when they were showing that, he's like, we've already seen this. <laughs> We've seen this movie. I've seen this movie. Like, he wanted to leave. He's like, yeah. Oh, no. He's like, yeah, I got it. I, I remember this. I'm like, no, it's different. It's different. He's like, no, we've seen this. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, why are we watching this? <laughs> it's just really kind of funny to, like, no, it's different. Trust me, it'll be different. It's just this part that's the same. Just this part, I think.
0: So this movie should be rated, like, ages five and up.
1: <laughs> why, is, why are we watching this again?
0: So. I I've I kind of struggled with whether it was a sequel or spinoff for a while because I was trying to figure out who carries the arc of this
1: movie,
0: mm-hmm. um, and I think that's something that um, Andrew Stanton struggled with as well. Um, we can talk about deleted scenes later, which I watched and are quite good, um, but I couldn't tell if this was Marlin's movie where Marlin has an arc of wanting something and makes a discovery and then changes what he wants. Or if this was a Dory's movie where she wants something and makes a discovery and changes what she wants. And I think both happen. Mm -hmm. And that's not the end of that thought, but I couldn't think of the next thing. Um, (laughs) For me, Dory, I think, has the the very weak reversal as described by Aristotle in Poetics where she uh, remembers something, the whole movie's driven by Dory remembering things that have happened. Yes. Yeah. Things don't happen to Dory, she remembers things and that changes what she wants. And eventually she realizes that she can remember things and that's what changes her arc of the movie towards the end. And so it's kind of, the arc is there, but I think it's not as strong of an arc because it's so internal and this is not a psychological thriller it's an animated family movie Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and so marlin's external arc is stronger but it's also a retread of basically the exact same arc he had in the first movie
1: where he has to learn to let go and let somebody else figure out how they express themselves and he has to let them be who they are on their yeah. own, without his yeah. influence uh, or his protection.
0: Yeah. So it's the exact same plot if you follow Marlin, but luckily it's not his movie, but... I don't know. It felt like there was either too much Marlin or not enough Marlin in this movie. I, I agree with that. I
1: totally wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with that statement. There was either too much or there was not enough. I think there was too Have much you of the seen the deleted scenes, Marlin. Um, from Finding Nemo, I okay, think not Finding Dory. What
0: was that? Not Finding Dory.
1: I, I think that there was too much of the Marlin that we had met in Finding Nemo mm. it present in Finding Dory, is what I mean.
0: I agree with that.
1: If, um, it, if that, if you can make sense of that statement,
0: <laughs> I mean, because we share a brain, I can, of course. Yes, whether our, I listeners, know, but our listeners can. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the post credit scene of Finding Dory, which I don't think I'd stayed in theaters for, so like, I ran across it on YouTube or something, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know if you've seen this? Yes. With the, uh, the tank gang from Finding Nemo kind of rolling up in plastic bags. Yes. And becoming part of the Jewel of Morrow Bay, California. Um, the deleted scenes for this movie, which were not animated, but they were storyboarded, and they kind of have like the the storyboard voiceover. It's not the real voices. Um, and it's fairly detailed. Um, essentially, Marlin's plot was entirely they meet the tank gang early on, and the tank gang helps them get across the ocean. So it's scene after scene after scene after scene with them. And it's about whether Marlin is a leader or Gil is a leader or Nemo is a leader. And mm. in the deleted scenes... Um, Andrew Stanton, of course, talks about. Um, he felt like this took all the attention away from Dory and made it Marlin's movie, so they ultimately cut it. But he really wanted the tank gang in the movie. And I think that a lot of that residual shows. Uh, if you wanted it to be Marlin's movie, keeping those scenes in would have made this stronger. But I don't think that we we or Andrew want it to be Marlin's movie.
1: No, I want it to be Dory's movie, and in fact, I want it to be more of Dory's movie. I yeah. felt taken away every time Marlon and Nemo were back. In a in yes. a sense. It's like, oh, we're going through this again. I love it's like- I love Albert Brooks and I love his performances, Marlon. Um and I love the relationship between the father and son. But there was still some he was having to relearn everything again that he had supposedly learned in finding Nemo
0: yeah, I mean these movies are essentially the animated opposite of uh, the Liam Neeson taken movies, um, <laughs> and in finding Dory, I want to see more of the person who's taken, not of Liam Neeson sure, 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 so <laughs> i I'll, I'll give you that one <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> points for Mackenzie.
1: But so in in the sense of this, I think what you were saying was true, that Dory's journey is very internal, and it relies on her remembering things to move the plot forward. But there's also something to be said, and I think there have been a lot of articles about this, about how Finding Dory is a story about fish with disabilities. Yes, yes. Uh, Fish who are um, learning to find their way with disabilities. I don't want to say... Fish and
0: mammals and cephalopods.
1: Absolutely. Trying to figure out how they themselves as individuals work through um, their lives with the everyday challenges that they have but also the problems that they found themselves in
0: mm-hmm.
1: with these different varying disabilities so you have um destiny's sight. you have mm-hmm. ba- bailey's lack of self um self-confidence you, slash echolocation right his broken echolocation but you know super power it's um, <laughs> a <His> beautiful
0: gift. It's <laughs> a beautiful gift.
1: You have Hank, which ha, you know, who's lost a, a leg and seems to have PTSD. Mm-hmm. Wh- whether it's about h- losing his leg or something else from the ocean, I think that his leg was lost in a horrific thing out in the scary ocean. Um, you have Marlin and Nemo with their original things that they were working out. Um but the nice thing about Nemo is they never mention Nemo's fin
0: in this in, movie in this movie They it's kind of in the shot a lot I think when they're when Marlin's doubting him the, they cut to the side of Nemo that has the fin Mhm so I thought that was very subtle and nice but they don't they don't talk about it which I think is fine
1: Also, in quick shots, it's very easy to tell the two of them apart if you see the small fin. Yeah. It's also how you tell the difference between a Marlin um, fruit snack and a Nemo fruit snack in the Finding Dory packs (laughs) of fruit snacks, which Jack is obsessed with. You just look at the fin, and you could tell which is which.
0: I will save this knowledge (laughs) forever. You've taught me a brilliant life lesson.
1: Uh, that's, that's part of what Finding Dory is about, life lessons. Yes. Um, and I think as a parent, I think seeing Finding Dory as a parent, seeing Finding Nemo as a pre-parent. <laughs> um, pre-parent. As a pre-parent. Um, I, finding Dory and Finding Nemo are both about a parent's worst nightmare. In, in Finding Nemo, much like the movie Taken, you have a child <laughs> <laughs> who is taken, who is kidnapped, um, and and taken and has to live in captivity by uh, his kidnapper, a dentist. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how closely it resembles Taken, but I think there's. Enough I think it's there. pretty close. Uh, so, stolen in a plastic bag and taken to a dentist's office. So, you have... I think they do use garbage bags and Taken, don't they? Uh, I have to admit this. I haven't seen Taken.
0: Oh, I, it's been a while. I've <laughs> only that. seen the first one, though. Okay. Go on.
1: So, you have a father trying to get back his kidnapped son. And, tra- and the story is the travel up against everything to find it. And then in Dory, you have a child who is swept away from her parents by the undertow or a natural disaster. You could think of a flash flood or something. You tell your kids, don't go play in that ditch because there could be a flash flood and, oh my gosh, there was a flash flood or something.
0: Um, what do you tell Jack?
1: Um, he never leaves the house. Oh, okay. You're safe then. He doesn't leave the house ever. Just don't leave the house. Just... Here, watch Finding Dory again. <laughs> uh, it's a teaching tool in many ways. Also, it's <laughs> it's it's like um, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Um, but you have the story of a child trying to find her way back to the parents, and you have, but it's still the story of a parent's nightmare of a lost child and yeah. what happens. But you have Finding Dory starting out its story. With Jenny and Charlie, Dory's parents, trying to teach Dory how to express herself, but also work through the challenges that she has in terms of having a hard time remembering. You have memory loss, and we're going to work through getting you ways to work through it. Hmm. So they take her interests in shells and games and songs. And usually people with learning disabilities or developmental disabilities, it helps to have something rhythmic
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and something very routinized. So they have a routine of here are the shells, here's how we play, here's how we do it, the just keep swimming song, where I don't think any of us needed to really know the origin of the Just Keep Swimming song. And but I don't, it
0: made us all cry anyway.
1: Right. I don't think it needs, it doesn't have to be there for Dory's journey to know that her mom taught her Just Keep Swimming. But the fact that her mother did is meaningful for Dory in terms of her development as a child with a disability in terms of her memory. hmm But um, Andrew Stanton also did say that the hardest part of finding Dory was how do you make the main character of your story someone who has short-term memory loss?
0: Yes. And I I think that we have talked about it in that we can see the struggle in that story. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad story. I think it is a very successful story for um the challenges that it faces. Yes. I think some convenient things happen sometimes, but I mean, you got to cheat a little bit with something like this. <laughs>
1: right. And I think they they were very strong about when they chose the moment of reflection to come back. I mean, they took something that happened in finding Nemo, which is the big rush of remembering when something that she cared about, something that she loved. They said that her Memory is activated by strong love or strong emotion. And when something like that imprints, then she's able to remember things back again. And it's just touching on those strong points. So, something about the undertow and being pulled away, and those things just sh- give a shock to her. And she's able to say something and remember something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I think they were dramatically. Very well motivated, but it also felt dramatically, as you were saying, convenient for things to happen in certain ways. And and nothing was more convenient than the location of water in this movie. There's water. <laughs> okay. Ex- there's water exactly where everybody needs to go.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Is that? Oh, we're thank- gonna jump out of this tank and go across this fountain and then wind up in this other fountain with a clam, where it also happens to have a pipe that connects to all the tanks in this aquarium.
1: So, uh, or I'm going to fall in here, and thankfully there's this bucket of water that's going by, so we can jump into this bucket and be safe. Oh, thank goodness, there's a kid's sippy cup. And Lord knows that sippy cup is full of apple juice. It is not (laughs) full of water. I mean... Maybe in California, you know, I'm not a parent in California, but I'm sure that sippy cup was not water.
0: It was probably like kale juice. Oh. I say this as a, new, a newly minted Californian, it was probably kale juice.
1: <laughs> and then the water bottle of the, of the truck drivers. They, you know, they had bottles of Mountain Dew. There was no fish getting into their <laughs> bottles of Mountain Dew that they were leaving. Nobody has a I bo- mean, open that's bottle. That's how Dory
0: got the courage to drive the truck, of course.
1: Mountain Dew. <laughs> Could. We're going to go
0: on this roundabout forever! Ah!
1: <laughs> so, um, uh, The Convenience of Water. That's all I'm saying about that.
0: The Convenience of Water. A new play by Christopher Leva. As you drink. <laughs> I thought water, I would, to be
1: clear. Well, it is water. Yeah. Moving on.
0: Um, as you've been talking, I've kind of been realizing that I think Marlon also does have his own hindrance in this movie, which is his... I think I would say that he has agoraphobia to a certain degree. And he and Hank kind of have the same challenges. And Hank is, of course, the heart of the movie because he says things uh, that are more apparent than what Marlon experiences, but he's also with Dory at the same time. Ed O'Neill as Hank deserves, I don't know what, love for everybody. I just want to hug that octopus. Um, And, of course, they're going toward the open ocean exhibit, and Marlon doesn't want to be in the ocean It's everything he doesn't want to do, and he complains multiple times about not wanting to cross the ocean again. So I think he does have his own Mm -hmm. trouble that he brings to the table. So I don't know. That doesn't really go anywhere, though. It's just an additional thought I had while we were talking.
1: Well, I think when we begin finding Nemo, Marlin and his wife, I can't remember his wife's name off the top of my head all of a sudden, but... They start off, and their anemone is right on the Mm -hmm. drop-off. They found it to enjoy the view, and it's beautiful. It's right there on the drop-off, and they get attacked by the Barracuda, and he loses everything except for Nemo. Now, after that, the anemone that that he and Nemo live in is nowhere near the Mm drop-off. Now they've protected themselves in their own way. Um, in Finding Dory, they're still away from the drop-off. So Finding Nemo was Marlin trying to put his life back together in some way, Realize, trying to get it back to the way it was and making sure that everything's safe. And I think his lesson at Finding Nemo is it's okay to be different and I could add other people to this and I can make my world a little bigger. So mm-hmm. so it becomes a little, it becomes big enough to also include Dory as a member of his family.
0: Yes. And With the end of Finding Dory, I do like the symbolic gesture of like being on the drop-off. hmm I think that's cool. What do you think of the end of Dory?
1: In terms of uh, the journey overall or...
0: Ah, uh, everything. Let's go with everything. <laughs> everything. Like those last two minutes of Dory. Where Are we starting
1: with where Hank is now part of the family, too? Yes. So he's teaching... When mis- they're
0: back at the reef, yeah.
1: Okay, so he's teaching the class. Hank is now part of the family. He's now the substitute teacher... For Mr. Ray, who's gone on his migration. You start to wonder, well, did Mr. Ray never go on his migrations anymore because he had to stay as a teacher, and now maybe he's finding his own family. I don't think we really finished Mr. Ray's story. So I think if we could sue finding Mr. Ray would be the next one to do after this. Just I hate me. You. This is me just spitballing <laughs> right
0: now. I think and, the whole way would just be Oh, for two hours. This is my sequel, my sequel, my sequel. It's a
1: sequel. No, it's a spinoff. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think. Okay, we wrote it. It did it. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they have to actually make it.
0: You're welcome, Andrew.
1: <laughs> so, woo. <whew>, um, <laughs> I know I lost my train of thought. I had one. So, Miss yes. so, so the I, end of Dory. So they. Hank has taken over as substitute teacher, but you start to wonder, what is he going to do? So maybe his story needs a little... No, I, I think he's complete, because now he's, he didn't want to be in the ocean. Now he is in the ocean, and he's found his own place there with people to care about him and love him.
0: Yes, he can never have coffee again, but he is in the ocean.
1: <laughs> and then we have Dory heading off on her own. I'm just going to go to the drop-off and just to enjoy the view. And you see Marlon take off after her, worried that something horrific is going to happen to her. And I, no one else is concerned. No one else is concerned. And I think um, it it's a nice way to show that I don't think that Marlon will ever stop worrying. Mm-hmm. He's not stopping her, but he's going to... And I think that shows some growth. It's not saying, no, you can't go to the drop-off. It's, I'm worried that you're going. I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to trail you so I can find you and make sure that you're okay. So he's not quite a helicopter parent <laughs> in the same way that he's controlling, but there he is giving more of, more of a space for her to express herself. And I think he's worried that She'll forget that she was going to the drop-off and possibly forget him, forget, no. forget Nemo, forget everything. She'll just get to the drop-off and be like, why did I come here? Oh, I don't know. What's that shiny thing over there? And then be gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's definitely his concern. So, because if she's able to forget her own parents, she can forget her new surrogate family. But... Jenny and Charlie aren't worried. Not, 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 not a bit. They're not worried about that she'll make her way back. Mm-hmm. Even though they lived through, I think, a terrifying, I don't know how long it was. I don't know the lifespan of fish, especially blue tangs. But um, Well, it's only been a year between movies, so. But not between when she was lost. That's true. So they, they lived out when she, she was a little tiny fish when
0: when she got lost. I think they said it was years. She'd been gone for years. Yeah. It's kind of open. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the, once they get to the drop-off, there's some dialogue right before the movie ends. What do you feel about the dialogue?
1: Between her and Marlin? Mm-hmm. Right before the ending. Yeah. I I almost didn't want it.
0: I agree. I think the dialogue bugs me. I think if it ended with, Hey Marlin, and Dory realizes that, she's bi- that he's behind her, and he just kind of swims up, and they just end the movie looking at the view, which is not explicit enough of an ending for children. Right. But I think the dialogue kind of undermines the end. It doesn't feel like the end.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was expecting something more. Or I I feel like the dialogue didn't complete the journey that we had taken. If it yes. were if it were the end of finding Nemo and it was him and Nemo sitting out there and looking at the view of the ocean, that's one thing. But it's not about, it's about Dory finding herself. Mm -hmm. And so looking out in the ocean tells us about an external journey. But really, I think it would have been better to end on like a a close-up of the two of them.
0: Yeah. Or like if they had, at the beginning, started with shells going back to their place so Dory could find her way home. And then she's like, oh, I don't need these shells anymore at the end. I don't know.
1: Yeah, something where it's, yeah, something that it's akin, you know, maybe she takes a shell to the drop-off and, you know, drops it it down. Because, one, it shows that she doesn't need it, but also, two, if she does get lost, hey, there's a shell there at the (laughs) drop-off.
0: I'll just hang out at the bottom of the drop-off.
1: Or, you know, put it down there. You know, she just, she goes and she puts a shell there, and it's, It's just something that they have together. And then we realize, oh, we always have that.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, and you kind of want them, because in the end, what Dory is saying and what Marlon are saying is, we're family, and, you know, I love you, Dory. I love you, Marlon. That's what they're saying without Mm -hmm. saying those words, not in a romantic way by any means, but in a a friendship way. But as a friendship, familial we are so close as friends now. We've been through so much. You're my family in some way. You're like my sister. You're like my brother. You're like... And, and I think that Marlin learns that he has to treat her more like a sister and less like a child.
0: Mm-hmm. Even though I do get the impression she is... She does feel younger than him in this movie. Yes. Significantly. Like, if they were humans and Marlin was like, thirty five I would feel like Dory's like 19. seventeen, okay,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah I even low balled it from where you were going, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, uh well, I was thinking seventeen in my head, and we do share a brain. I just so. decided seventeen felt too young,
1: okay, uh, I could buy that, <laughs>
0: um, I don't want to leave the topic of finding Dory without talking about the animation in this movie,
1: mm-hmm,
0: um. Because for one, Hank itself is, is the most challenging character that Fixar ever created because he's both a liquid and a solid <laughs> and has seven arms. And goes camouflaged. And camouflages. Yeah. It's like, how can we kill all of our animators? <laughs> Let's have a character that has seven arms, changes from multiple colors all the time, and is liquid and solid and must reflect that whenever he touches a surface. Every portion of this character's body is buoyant. Yeah,
1: it's, um, it is brilliant. Um, and the the thing, it, it looks so seamless and so good that you don't think about how hard it was. <laughs> and I yeah. think that's the terrible part of something that difficult, is no one will know just how difficult this is because of how good it
0: looks. It was amazing. Um, yes. Yeah, Hank. Hank looks amazing, and I think they used... His octopusness, ness um, octopusity. I'm trying to think of like what octopus, the humanity, yeah. What's the humanity equivalent of being an octopus?
1: Yeah, Oct- octopusity.
0: Yeah, I'm going with that. Yeah. Um, I think they use that well for how he blends in and becomes a plant and a hose and lots of things. Um, and I also feel like in this movie they use color really well, and I think in some. Uh, Like animated movies where it's like, what if blah, blah, blah could talk? Not like calling out any specific Pixar movies, but like generic, more generic kids movies of like, what if, what if um, winter coats had a life of their own? I don't know. (laughs) Sure. Um, I think the characters in the backgrounds often blend in together and finding Dory has like this Scooby Doo effect. And I mean that in a good way, where the characters clearly stand out from the background. Like, the backgrounds are so realistic and earth tone, and the characters are so bright and unrealistic. Um, and so everything looks very artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to remember specific shots. I think of, like, Hank lowering Dory into the open ocean exhibit. Where he drops her leaving- with a cup? Yeah. Yeah. You could see like the yellow girders at the top, and Hank hanging down like the blue dot of Dory falling into the earth tone tank below. Yeah. Um, Dory finding her parents' home with like that that large kind of dark shot of her going down, following the shells into the sand with like the empty pot. That's very artistic. Um, the field trip in front of the stingray migration, and I think like all these serve to tell the story really well. Because you see the vastness of the ocean and how big this world is, and a lot of those shots make me feel like anxious and worried. Like there's that mm-hmm. subtlety of like, look how small this tiny character is compared to everything else. Right. And I think you
1: don't realize that until much later that the beginning of the movie makes you think that you are out in the big ocean, protected. And really, they're not. They're they're in the open ocean exhibit, so they're still protected in some way. But it's still as dangerous as being lost in the ocean because if she does get out of... hit gets into the undertow and gets swept in, which I think is a design flaw in that tank. Let's just... I'm just going to yeah, put that the, out there.
0: If the fish fit through your grates, you're probably not a good aquarium. So
1: uh, just just throwing that out. But <laughs> it was probably the same designer of the you know, air vents of the Death Star. So, anyway, <laughs> Galen Urso probably designed the aquarium as trying to take down the Empire. Well, if these fish can get out, then maybe. I don't know. Is, what,
0: is this Taken or Rogue One? I, I, I don't know.
1: This is really confusing. Anyway, um, <laughs> I just confused myself just amazingly well. But I think... You get the idea that they are in the ocean, but really they're in a protected segment of this protected aquarium. And then the fact that she's out in the ocean is even worse for them as parents. Yeah. Because they're trying to protect her for life in a controlled environment. And if she hits the undertow, she's going to be in an uncontrolled environment and lost, and they don't know how she's going to function they hope they hope that they've given her enough that she could find her way back they just mm. didn't they just didn't realize how far she would wander
0: yeah she somehow swam from california to australia
1: mhm and I, I did have a little bit of a hard time in and i know that the movie is not the same movie as finding nemo and I think I liked finding Dory better the second time I watched it. me too, because part of me was feeling like it was finding Nemo 2 instead of finding Dory, if that like we were talking about. is it a sequel? Is it a spinoff? So when they join up and they 're like, "Well, we need to get across the ocean. Oh, the turtles will help us and that took like uh, three minutes of movie time (laughs) and suddenly we're in California. Whereas Finding Nemo, the whole story was about navigating across the ocean. Mm -hmm. Now navigating across the ocean was like, oh yeah, we, we got it taken care of. There were no dangers this time. They were okay. They just got on one single current. It was like the freeway, just one stop and we made it. And I think that took me out of it with, man, that was easy.
0: Well, I did it once already.
1: That's what I'm saying though. It's like They know the journey. They know the journey, so it wasn't difficult. And none of them mm-hmm. like, okay, well, we know not to look to look out for jellyfish and we know to look out for sharks and we know we'll just be more careful and it'll we'll just do one shot. Mhm. Thank goodness the turtles from Australia knew where this part of California was. Whew.
0: They know where everything is. They're like the all-seeing, like Elon Musk Hyperloop turtles of the ocean.
1: <laughs> so that's yeah. It's a it's a little bit of um, that. I think that was the first bit of convenience that I had trouble with. But I know they needed to get us to the the aquarium because that's again, it's not a story of a journey externally, which Finding Nemo was, it's a journey, internally, but they had to move externally in order to tell the story that they needed to tell, so, yeah. I mean, I get it, I get it, I just still have a little bit of a dramaturgical issue with the easiness of it.
0: Yeah, we like this movie, we understand all the choices that were made, writing-wise and directing-wise, and we agree with all of them. But we also feel like it's easy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're saying, "Good job. We wish we'd done that." And we also wish we could have done better.
1: And I don't know how you could do that better though. I don't know how you can navigate I don't fish unless you make it that they weren't in California. But then how how big that is that journey going to be? then you don't get the sense of scale of how she was able to make her way back to her parents.
0: Yeah. I don't know.
1: It's what's the journey? What's what's more important? And it's her figuring out and remembering what she was about. It's like a kid who lost focus. She knew she was looking for somebody. She couldn't remember who she was. I enjoyed um, the beginning where she got older and older, knew that she was still looking for something. And the thing that stopped her looking for something was Marlon.
0: Looking for someone else.
1: Right. I have to find, I have to get back to my parents. Can you help me find my parents? Hey, can you help me to find um, something? I'm trying to figure out what it was. Can you help me? Can you help me? And knowing that she needs help, knowing that she needs help, knowing that she's lost. And then after a while, it's just, Hey, I saw a boat. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so that was just really well done to see it deteriorate, deteriorate, and then we're in the movie. And I love that she lives in a brain. <laughs> I love that she sleeps in
0: a brain. The brain coral.
1: Yeah, I love that she sleeps in a, a brain coral because it's just that tells you everything right there. <laughs> it tells you everything.
0: If she only had a brain, she does.
1: She does. She does have a brain. It just works differently than everyone else. And I know there was um, Andrew Sandon talked about how Jenny and Charlie were also going to have memory loss.
0: That would have been too difficult.
1: I th- that would have been just too much after a while, And I think they made yeah. the right choice, having it just be Dory, because then that takes away some of what makes Dory special. So
0: I agree yeah I agree i agree I agree
1: <laughs> I agree so
0: <laughs> now
1: did you have anything else that we need to mention about dory? I mean I,
0: I feel I, like we need to mention that the the Pixar short beforehand Piper um is worthwhile of discussion, and we will get to it at our second annual oscar nominated animated shorts discussion, yeah um, because it was nominated for the Oscar for the short um surprisingly. Unsurprisingly. Yeah, unsurprisingly, everyone saw it and said, "Like, oh, that's that will probably be nominated, if not win."
1: I I thought that um, in the middle of the second shot of the short film, I was like, "Yeah, this is uh, this is when sh- the
0: bird smiles and the
1: sand everywhere." This is sheer artistry. I'm like this. Yeah. the sand. You here's your Academy Award for sand animation. <laughs> Here you go. Shut up and give me my
0: Academy Award. <laughs>
1: I think that would be my note if I worked at Pixar, like, well, that's the Academy Awards shot. Good job, everybody.
0: (laughs) We're done here. We're done here. Two seconds, that's all. Good night. We're only going to make enough movie from now on to convince people we deserve an Oscar. Roll credits.
1: (laughs) Chris, it's two minutes long. I said roll credits.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we will talk about all of its artistry and how amazing it is. And really, it encapsulates the entirety of the arc of Finding Dory in one movie, one short film about the ocean. <laughs> I, I had that same thought, too. So Yep, yep. It's like, how else can we tell the story? Let's use
1: birds. Really cute birds and water. Mm-hmm.
0: And Hank is a hermit crab. <laughs> uh, oh. So we will talk about that later. Chris, tell me about your favorite thing Okay. I, I,
1: have, I have an emotional favorite thing, and then I have an actual favorite thing. Like, okay. My favorite thing emotionally, the thing that made me weep in the theaters, and I still have to pull it together every time I watch the film, is twofold. It's Dory figuring out how she thinks and breaking down her thought process when she gets lost yet again. Mm -hmm. and she's like, okay, there's kelp, there's ocean. Well, kelp is better, and she goes to the kelp. And then she's like, well, there's more kelp over there. Oh, there's something that way. And then you see her working out her thought process, finding the shells, and then that realization as she finds another shell of what is going on, and then just that initial shot over the hill of the parent's house with the sheer number of shells leading to it. Mm-hmm. When we talk about um, when we talked about last episode about all the shows of 2016 and I said having a main character stop talking and feel something
0: this That's is an example.
1: This is the scene that I mean. It's a long scene of a character who normally talks a lot, stopping and actually having an opportunity to feel something. and we have the realization as she has the realization, and just see the sheer scale and scope of these parents and their love, it just emotionally is so rich and so satisfying that I can forgive lots of the issues that I had dramaturgically up until that point just for that shot. Mm-hmm. It's it's so amazingly well done. But my actual favorite thing is the Hank spy music by Thomas Newman. <laughs> That's my actual favorite thing. So anytime where Hank is crawling around or hiding and it brings out Thomas Newman and he has like spy music with the weird little flute, like That <laughs> is my actual favorite thing, and I, I get so excited every time I hear it.: You're making Jacob Reed proud.: Oh, that's my actual favorite thing. Uh,
0: my favorite thing is just my new my new potable quotable uh, from a Pixar movie, and it's my friend Sigourney. Um, <laughs> when I'm explaining things now, I often in, in actual conversation go like, well, my friend Sigourney, and then continue with my thought, um, a la Dory and Sigourney Weaver, the audio host of The Jewel of Morrow Bay, California. This Which, fun fact, Morrow Bay, California is a real place. I thought they made it up. Why would they make it up? In a show that... I mean. I mean the, the aquarium is like clearly Monterey Bay Aquarium, but like this weird parallel dimension Monterey Bay Aquarium. Like it looks similar, same idea. It's a really famous aquarium with this great stuff. <laughs> um and I'm like, oh, it's a bay in California. It starts with M, Monterey Bay, Morrow Bay. They just made like this weird parallel. No, Morrow Bay is also a real place. They just put a fake version of a real aquarium in a different bay. <laughs> good good
1: on them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think we did have Sigourney Weaver in more movies as random voices as herself. I just oh think God. this just goes to show.
0: Hi, I'm Sigourney Weaver. <laughs>
1: the, the audience loves that moment. I th- every time that I saw that with an audience, they just love. Hi, I'm. S- hello, I need some help. Hello, I'm Sigourney Weaver. Oh, thank goodness, Sigourney Weaver, you're <laughs> here to help me. It's just wonderful. <laughs> so. Ah, oh, so good. <laughs> so so good. Oh. Any any last words on finding Dory or should we just say thi- f- Should we just say thank you to Pixar? Thank you, Pixar. Thank you, Pixar.
0: Release! Release! <laughs> Release. Release! Release! <laughs> finding Mr. Ray!
1: <laughs> oh! <laughs> now it's homework time! So, it's homework time, and I'm done doing Mr. Ray. <laughs> That's the last time. Um, for homework, what do we have next time, Mackenzie?
0: Well, for our homework next time, because we haven't, we've similarly skipped a TV show from 2016 that we haven't talked much about, even though we keep promising to, uh, a la Dory in the movie world. We're going to be talking about Voltron, Colonel Legendary Defender. On Netflix, it is a DreamWorks production, Season two has just aired. Uh, we're not assigning you any specific episodes because if we assign you one, you're just going to want to watch them all. So watch the entirety of season one and season two of Voltron Legendary Defender on Netflix now.
1: Absolutely. And as I say in Netflix, just keep binging, just keep binging, binging, binging.
0: Accurate. <laughs> and, I, and I, Yeah, yeah, totally accurate. Um. Um, as always, we're going to just keep thanking uh, Jacob Reed for our theme music and Nigel Catino, our engineer.
1: And we want to say you can catch us on the web, WG Animated on Twitter, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com for show notes and videos and other things that we might find related to this episode. And also on Facebook.com slash WG Animated. If you enjoy the show, We'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show because it will rank us higher in the results when you search for animation podcasts, I think. There's a
0: lot of technical explanation. Um, you can also prove that you uh, listened to this episode and decided to write a review by writing a review that begins with, my friend Sigordi recommended this podcast, and then write your actual review. Uh, that'll be how we measure our impact.
1: <laughs> Good night, everybody.